I would never joke about Quibi. <laughs> uh, is that because the joke is self-evident and you just say Quibi yeah. and then you don't need to make a joke? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today I am very thankful that I have a small air conditioning window unit because there's a big old heat wave going on and I'd be dead without it. Joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, Martha Sullivan, and I am back to being an active librarian in a building full of people. Would you like to guess how many of the people I saw today chose to wear a mask? Mm. I will be honest. I don't wear masks in buildings where I don't need to, where where I'm not required to. But if the building says, we prefer you wear a mask, I'm like, I will. I will wear that mask. Like, you want me to do it, I will do it. Here's the thing. I am fully vaccinated. I recognize that I am of the, I am in a safer portion of the population. My uncle also fully vaccinated month ago got covid mm-hmm. so like i i just don't i'm still masking up if i have to go be around a large portion of people that i don't know because i don't trust any of you guys mm-hmm. sure none of you sure <laughs> um so yeah, I am continuing to be masked. We we ask if you are not vaccinated, stay masked. And yes, we're also right. requiring um, children under 12 and the adults that come in with mm. children under 12 mm-hmm. to be masked because mm-hmm. they can't be vaccinated. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I don't trust anybody. And and hopefully uh, that will change soon in the next couple of months. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my library is open Full service, full hours. I think we're going to be starting in-person programming soon. Mm-hmm. It's all just, wow, y'all are really uh, feeling that we're done with this pandemic, aren't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good good luck with, uh, with that going forward. <laughs> uh, but th- this week we are not talking about uh, pandemics. We are talking about King Arthur. Because this is our month, uh, our three-episode triptych of... Arthur, Arthurian episodes, inspired nice. by A24's The Green Knight. Nice $5 word there. Triptych? Yeah. I love it. Um, right, I could have gone with Trilogy. That would be the more obvious one. Um, <laughs> uh, so this episode, we are doing our Commedia del Arthur. In other words, Arthur as comedy. Uh, we're going to be looking at two movies, which apparently we're going to fight about both of them. So it's going to be a really good episode. Um, because you're you know, not allowed to do introductions anymore because you just spoil the whole episode. I'm just laying the groundwork. Also, it's always fun when we argue because it's it's nice frothy, you know, ideas getting percolated and stuff. Uh, but before we get into any of that, it's only fair that we share with you what is stuck in our heads. Basically, whatever piece of pop culture we want to be talking about. Uh, so, Martha, what's stuck in your head? Um, so I have not been watching a whole lot of TV during this pandemic, just because there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff airing that I've been like super interested in. Um, however, in the last couple of weeks, I have discovered two shows 
And I am choosing the one that I'm going to talk about because it was the one that I watched before coming to record this episode. Mm-hmm. And that show is Wellington Paranormal. I've heard of this. Which is a spin-off show of What We Do in the Shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, more directly, the film, because the this TV show takes place in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, it is about Sergeant Maaka and his two officers, Minogue and O'Leary, who are members of the Wellington, New Zealand Police Department, uh, and their investigations into the paranormal phenomena that happen around their city. Is is this a like we do in like a what we do in shadows? It's a like, uh, uh, Brent. There's a bit of a ghost issue down in the house. Uh, you know, Miss O'Leary's yes. house. Uh, yes, correct. Ooh, that that house was incorrect on the Kiwi accent, but cool. That's amazing. Yes, it is directed and written by Jermaine Clement and a bunch of the other people that worked on what we do in the shadows. Um, it's incredible. <laughs> it's very funny, and it's. A 20 minute, it's a half hour Ooh. comedy show, yes. which I am super into. What is it on? Uh, HBO Max. Oh, cha-ching. I know what I'm going to be watching when we're done with this episode. It is not, you have to watch it through the HBO Max app. That's like fine. We, we, well, the reason I, I specify that is because we subscribe through to HBO as an add-on through Hulu, and we Ooh. cannot watch it on Hulu. We have to go to the oh. HBO specific app. Got it. No, uh, I we just have an HBO subscription, and it is shared with like Warner Brothers. Stop listening to this podcast. Like eight different households. So ah. <laughs> we we are doing our part to ensure that many people have access to HBO. Um, yeah, my sister and I just swapped. Uh, she gave me her Apple Plus login, and I gave her my mm. Shutter login. So I finally get to watch Ted Lasso. Uh, I'm going to be talking to her about that Apple Plus login, see what we can exchange. <laughs> <laughs> if she also wants an HBO account, <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure she's been using my mom's for like 10 years. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, what's stuck in your head? Yeah, what is stuck in my head is the triumphant and glorious return of the River West 24 was this past weekend. Longtime listeners to this podcast know that that is the 24-hour bike race that I do every year, asterisk, not last year, um, that is put on by my neighborhood. Normally, during normal times, it is a, a, a team-based relay race throughout the neighborhood. They don't shut down the streets but you have to go to four different checkpoints in order. They stamp your your manifest card, a little laminated card that you carry around, and they count up the laps. In addition, there are bonus checkpoints um, scattered throughout both the race course's geography and its time. Usually there's about 24 to 30 bonus checkpoints during the course of the race, uh, one of which is to get the tattoo. I got a tattoo this year, always get the tattoo. Uh, one of which is to eat breakfast, one of which is to, you know, and then there's stuff like, you know, clean up the the neighborhood, uh, play rock, paper, scissors, and the loser gets pie in their face. Uh, fun, <laughs> fun stuff like that. Um, you know, punk rock karaoke. Uh, this year, the race was a little bit different. It was technically canceled last year. They had like t-shirts and a tattoo, but that was it. This year it's it was officially back on, but there was no actual racing. They were not counting laps uh because they they were worried about too many people and too much sort of like chaos and and confined spaces. So instead, there were simply it was the all bonus checkpoint edition. So 
they put out a call back in April. Anyone who wanted to run a bonus checkpoint during the race, during the 24-hour period, could do it. Um, I don't know how they figured out when the checkpoints would be and all the rest of it, but there were over 100 bonus checkpoints during this 24-hour period. Uh, most of which were running it for about two hours. So they gave us, uh, at the beginning of the race, we got a, a fun little laminated zine held together by a big binder ring. Um, and the zine that we got at the beginning of the race just had a front cover and a back cover with times and locations and titles for all the bonus checkpoints, but no explanation about what they were. All you got was a name, a place, and a time. And then a, a fun little page that looked like, you know, sort of like a first grader notebook of like, my name is blank. My team's name is blank. My favorite part of the race was this. My race fuel was this. <laughs> um, uh, and so each bonus checkpoint you went to, you got a laminated page that you could add to your zine. Super fun, really clever idea, and a good way to make it sort of a, an easing back into this giant neighborhood bike race slash 24-hour-long party. Um, this is a very long preamble to say that, apropos to our month of Arthur, one of the bonus checkpoints was called the Sword and the Stone. And our task, given to us by the Riverwest Princess, was to go deep into the woods and pull the sword from the stone and return it to her. We went deep into the woods, and there there was a stone with a big hunk of rebar sticking out of it. It had been there for years and was covered in graffiti. But also on the stone was chalked the word Excalibur and a bunch of cocktail swords. Uh, so we all grabbed a cocktail sword and returned that sword, that Excalibur, back to the Riverwest Princess and got our zine page um, and it was just like the most clever and creative and highly relevant to this podcast bonus checkpoint I could possibly imagine. I have no follow-ups. I think it's great. I don't fully understand the River West competition, but you it should sounds... come up one year during it. It is. I would love to. It's just a wild time. That and also the beer run that you do sometimes. Sadly canceled this year because of COVID, but... Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, theoretically it's on next year. Oh, yeah. No, I'm always down for a 5K where I get a beer at the end. Here's the best part. It's a 2.4 mile run, or maybe less, and there are four stops for beer during it. Yes. <laughs> well, and then also, isn't there like a quarter mile walk that you can do? Oh, uh, yes. These are actually two different runs that we're thinking. Of. Okay. There, I, I did do a 5K where you get a beer at the end. And in that race, there was a 5K and a 0.05K. Yeah. Uh, and both both races got <laughs> beer at the end. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but the, the there's there's like a neighborhood um, street fest called Locust Street Fest, which Martha reminds me of like all the good summer Chicago street fest, like old town street fest, you know, art, art booths and music and, you know, food trucks and fried food all the all the good stuff um i miss food trucks I miss, so it's bad. all so good <laughs> um but that kicks off with a i think it's actually a 1.4 mile run with four stops for beer nice uh super nice except unless one of the beer stops is a heavy beer and it's 90 degrees because it's summer and Oof. you're running and it's like why did you make this be the beer yeah that one's a little rough yeah all right, well, we are going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about our Commedia del Arthur, uh, or Arthur as comedy. So stick around.
And we are back. So, uh, for this episode, we are talking about two different comedies based on King Arthur. We're talking about Disney's The Sword in the Stone and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And we're going to be starting off with Disney's The Sword in the Stone, which Martha assigned. So, Martha, take it away. Yeah, so The Sword in the Stone came out in 1963, is based on the book by T.H. White, uh, was written by Bill Peet and directed by Wolfgang... Wolfgang Reitherman and Clyde uh, Geronimi uh, and stars nobody Ricky Sorensen as Wart, Sebastian Cabot as Sir Ector, Carl Swenson as Merlin uh, Junius Matthews as Archimedes and Ginny Tyler as the small girl squirrel uh, also Martha <laughs> Wentworth as Madame Mim um, but yeah, this is a pretty straight up and down adaptation of uh, The Sword in the Stone by T.H. White, which is about Arthur as a like 10 to 12 year old um, and kind of his his humble beginnings before he pulls the sword from the stone and is recognized as uh, the incoming king of England. Um, but because one, one might call him a- the once and future king of England. Yes. Uh, This is also a Disney movie, so it has more than its fair share of whimsy. Uh, The character of Merlin is pretty, um, what's the word that means not of the time period? Anachronistic? Yes. Cool. Uh, Merlin is a deeply anachronistic character. Um, At one point, he shows up in board shorts and sunglasses because he has uh, effed off to a tropical locale. (laughs) Literally Bermuda. Uh, and it is, it follows uh, as Merlin is kind of teaching Arthur, baby Arthur, how to be a good person and how to eventually, like, be the King of England. Um, this one really hits at a sweet spot for me in the Disney oeuvre. Like, it is uh, around the same time as things like... Um, Sleeping Beauty, Lady and the Tramp, um, Hundred One Dalmatians, Jungle Book. Uh, Jungle Book is came after this one. Yeah, a little after. Um, I I don't like that one as much. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is in that kind of era, and I think the, I really love the animation of it. Uh, the silliness of it really works for me. Um. I'm guessing it did not for you. Yeah, this is apparently real. Your mileage may vary. I did not like almost any part of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, I, I have read T.H. White's The Once and Future King, the first book of which is The Sword and the Stone. And my me- first off, re-watching this and doing all this Arthur talk, I'm like, I should re-read that book. Um, but I remember liking that section. And this... The whimsy did not work, and I knew going in that it was going to be... Whimsy's the wrong word, but, like, the, like, higgledy-piggledy-figgledy-foo. Uh, that's how we do magic. Um, <laughs> it's very it's very fairy godmother from Cinderella. Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, this isn't working. Um, but, like, I understand why it would work for some people. As the movie kept going on, I was less and less enchanted by it, if only because I realized it's not a movie. Um... It opens up with a, a storybook saying like, ah, oh, there is a sword in the stone and he who pulls it shall be the next king. And then for the next 
I mean, luckily it's an animated movie from the 60s, so it's real short, 79 minutes. So, like, for the next, I don't know, 50 minutes, there is nothing to do with a sword in the stone, and we get, like, five, four to five little sequences of, like, Merlin teaching Arthur good lessons. And I couldn't tell if it was, like... It felt somewhat didactic in a sense of, like... Listen, we're both teaching Arthur some lessons, and also, children watching this movie. Did you know that the Earth is round? Hey, cool, we're learning good life lessons. Um, and then at the end, it's like, ah, yes, and don't don't forget, there's a sword and a stone. Oh, you pulled it out. Huzzah, movie's over. Um, I, it just... I had fond-ish memories of sequences of this movie, but then when it was all together, I'm like, actually, I don't think this worked for me at all. I guess where I come down on it is I really like all of the segments. Mm. Like, I don't disagree with you. That do you like it's the squirrel not... segment? I do. Mm. Okay. I think it's the squirrel segment is really interesting to me because of how sad it is. Mm. Like it kind of doesn't fit tonally with the rest of the movie, but also I liked having a little bit of melancholy to kind of, break up the rest of the movie also i do think it's important for kids to understand that their actions affect other people yeah totally totally um i also truly love the dual sequence with madame mim i think that owns like really really hard so the 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 problem for me with the dual sequence and this is not like this is a bad critique but Neil Gaiman did a similar version of that in sandman and his version is just more interesting to me as an adult um, so, so like watching the, watching the Madame Mim one, which I totally remembered. I'm like, yes, there's a pink dragon. I thought it was Morgan Le Fay. Uh, I thought that I forgot that they changed her name to Madame Mim. Um, yeah, she's essentially the, the Morgan character. Right. Um, I, like on the one hand, like it's frustrating that she is cheating and all the rest of it. Like it'd be cooler if they were, you know, actually doing it on equal footing. Uh, there's questionable gender politics in this movie. Um, but like like the the premise of a magic duel like that i am all in on i just i mean merlin wins by turning into a virus yes <laughs> like that's so good. i i did not find that like relevant at all <laughs> um and i really enjoy i don't know i just like i said it's it is definitely a bunch of like 10 minute episodes that are hung together on the most, like, Gossamer. ethereal of spider threads. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy them so much individually that I kind of don't mind that it, it, it ends up being sort of disjointed. It's entirely possible that if this had been, like, a series, like, like if, if rather than being a movie, this had been, like, a six-episode little, you know... Mary Melody's length cartoons. Um, it might have worked for me better just because then you don't need that connective tissue and you just get to be like, ah, Arthur or uh, Merlin and Wart are going to be fish in this episode. Well, that's fun. Um, <laughs> but when it's like, oh, we're going to be fish and then we're going to be squirrels and then we're going to be birds and then. Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, no, we forgot about the sword and the stone thing. Uh, I guess he's going to be a page and uh, go pull, pull sword from the sword. Okay, movie's over. Like, that. that's where it's sort of all... Like, each as each new... We've turned into this animal and learned this life lesson happened, I'm just like, right, but where's, like... 
I thought there was a sword in the stone somewhere. Yeah. I, I think that the other thing to think about this one is audience. Yes. Like, this movie is not aimed at anyone who actually cares about the Arthur legend. Right. And, and like, there was a... I, I went into this movie with a good sense that I was not who it was for. That sense was instantly um, solidified, but also I am I am not... I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Well, maybe I am. I'm saying it's not a movie, but that doesn't make it a bad thing for, for you know, people who like it to watch and also for, like, younger kids to watch. It might be perfectly tailored to that because it is, like, we have, like, you know, oh, we get the fish episode and then we have a little interlude. Then we get the squirrel episode. Then we get a little interlude. That might be perfectly tailored to a younger audience's, like, attention span and interest level. Yeah, I think it also works really well for little kids because you can turn it off and then mm-hmm. come back to it. Right, right. Um, or or watch it five or six or seven times, you know. Mm-hmm. And by five or six, seven, I mean 50, 60, 70. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so if you were going to make... Okay, so full disclosure, I have never read The Once in Future King. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I kind of assume that nothing in this movie actually shows up in that book. So, um, <laughs> except the part where he's a squire and like actually pulls out the sword. He, if I remember correctly, he and Kay have a much better relationship and Kay is not like a lunkhead. Um, this interpretation of Merlin is kind of sort of from Once in Future King. Uh, the cool thing about Merlin in Once in Future King is that he travels, he is, traveling backwards in time so he is getting he's basically benjamin buttoning but like through the centuries so he makes references to world war ii and hitler and tanks and airplanes and stuff like that and then is like oh wait yeah you people don't know about that yet um wild which is which is like that in in this except for in this they just never mention it and it seems like he's just a time traveling wizard Because why not? Yeah, because why not? Like, yeah, you can go F off to Bermuda and, like, hang out and come back in board shorts. Like, that's fine. And on the one hand, eh, that's actually a pretty cool use of magic. I'm not complaining there. Um, Good work if you can get it. On the other hand, I I do like the idea of, like, Merlin is a Benjamin Button type who is, like, grappling with... You know, there's a lot of sadness to that idea. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it I did like that the movie let um, Merlin be really prickly, like yes. at the end when you know he, um, when he's like, "Oh, you didn't need me, so I left, and now you need me," kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like he gets to be kind of a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which again, I think, is all in service of Arthur actually learning how to be a good person. And since Arthur in this movie is 10 and no 10 year old is a good person. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or, like Wart in this and, and uh, his, his name is Wart because he, you know, it's his his nickname before he becomes Arthur, yada, yada. Uh, that's all from uh, Once in Future King. Um, he seems like a very honestly portrayed 10 to 12 year old. Yeah, he, he is like short sighted and. He, I mean, he's he's quick on the uptake. Like, he wants I think to he do is... good, but he doesn't yes. know what that looks like, and right. has a has a chivalric sense of what that means, even when that might not be the correct sense of what that means. So, even if you did, even if you didn't like this movie, K 
can you kind of get on board with it as a way to introduce like little kids to this oh, story? Yeah, no, like this is to- like, you know, if there were a I don't know proper ages for kids, but like a kid who was into this into like Arthur stuff or whatever, like yeah, there's some questionable like gender politics going on. Um It was made in 1963. I was about to say that too. Uh like it is questionable now. It was like right on the level for then. Um and yeah, like as a I I know that you like it, so I don't want this to sound disparaging, but like as a kids movie, it's a good kids movie. Oh no, I do yeah. like it, but it is also very much a children's movie. Right, right. Um like there's nothing Like like the, the, the thing that I knew I'm Archimedes the owl. I don't I Iago from Aladdin might be the only talking animal companion that I enjoy in like cinema. Uh I haven't interrogated that, but that's like off the cuff. So like when Archimedes is like, oh, woof, 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 I'm a, I'm a clever owl and I'm going to be talking I'm like, whatever, this movie's not for me. Let's ride with it. It's doing what it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like this movie, but I am also very, very aware that it was not made like this movie does not care about the parents that are watching with the children. Like, yes. The most that it cares about the parents is that it's like, hey, we made this really easy for you to just like skip to the scene your kid wants to watch. Right. Like, oh, your kid loves the bird sequence. Cool. Right. Uh, you know, what? It, it reminded me a lot of Fantasia in a way of um, whim- whimsical okay. elements connected by the, the most tenuous of threads. Uh, where it's like, oh, you like the the night on Bald Mountain sequence of, of Fantasia? Yeah, we can just fast forward to that part of the VHS. Um, I do. Th- I would say this has more s- plot. Oh, than at, Fantasia. yeah, totally. Because the the plot in Fantasia is here's some music, and then we're gonna have interludes with Tchaikovsky and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and it's um, sort of very loosely, maybe about like the evolution of the universe. I think that of. I think that's only one of the songs. <laughs> oh yeah, you're yeah. right. Because uh, then we have like the Chinese mushrooms and uh, the Nutcracker sequences. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it did just have that vibe to me of just like. So many of the other movies, Disney movies from this time that you had mentioned, like Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, they're coherent stories and they tell stories like they have cool moments, but like they they work as movies. Fantasia isn't isn't a movie. It's a sequence of like cool, interconnected, like, you know, sequences. And this kind of splitting the difference where like there is technically a story, but it doesn't work as a movie that's selling a story. It does work as a movie of just, like, interconnected sequences with some, like, interstitial stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. All right, should we jump over to my homework? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, I assigned, and it was the easiest homework pick I think I've ever done uh, for Arthur as comedy. I did the 1975 British comedy film Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, performed and directed by the Monty Python group of Grant Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, uh, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. And I got all that getting only their last names, because I like the Pythons. Um, for better or worse, this movie, especially when uh, Martha and I were growing up, was a nerd shibboleth kind of movie, <laughs> um, where everyone had to be able to quote it at all times, etc., etc. I'm sure we'll be dissecting that in a second. Um... The movie follows King Arthur and his squire traveling the length and breadth of Britain, trying to assemble a group of knights. Uh, Eventually, they are uh, stopped by God to go on a quest to find the Holy Grail. Uh, They split up, 
adventures ensue, uh, and then the movie ends. Uh, Along the way, there are so many various nerd references and jokes and things uh, that it would be the entire rest of this episode and then some for me to try to list them. Uh, However, a joke that I literally just... It might not have been an intentional joke, but I did just have the realization that the French... Uh, knights who are, you know, in charge of some of the castles there and make fun of Arthur and his companions, uh, call them silly English knigots, um, which is particularly funny because the word knight comes from French with that silent K in it, so it's probably not intentional, but it is kind of hilarious that the French are the ones doing that knigot joke when it is their stupid language that is giving us the stupid spelling. Uh, Martha. This is a movie that I'm sure we've both seen a lot of, and you said that we would argue about it, so let me know your hot takes on it. Okay, so first of all, I think it is interesting that you are criticizing The Sword in the Stone for not being a movie, because this is also not a movie. <laughs> this is not a movie, but it I feel like it knows it's not a movie. I would say the same thing about Sword in the Stone. To be anyway, fair, fair. Um, I just don't feel... I have aged out of Monty Python humor, Mm. I think. Mm. Um, There are sequences of this that I still find hysterical. But also, I was checking my phone through a lot of this movie. Interesting. Um, And also, I no longer... Well, I never... I was never a fan of the fact that it just... Stops. Like, it doesn't end. It just... <laughs> they, they all get... Uh, spoiler, but you should have done your homework. They all get arrested at the end by modern-day British police. The ending of this movie is bad, and it's bad because it's lazy. <laughs> I don't I don't disagree. I, I have a very strong memory of, like, watching this probably for the first time in middle school, and the movie ended, and then it cut to black, and I sat, like, in the basement for, I don't know, ten minutes waiting for something to happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like... That well, it went to black, but like, there's gonna be a, like, something's gonna happen again, right? And then the DVD or VHS ended. It's like, oh, okay. Also, let's talk about those gender politics. Hmm. I yeah. That scene almost still worked for me, but also in a way where I'm like, mm, this. If we're doing good, like, it's almost good satire. We lampshaded it. Lampshading is good, but also woof. I, I assume that you're talking about the uh, Galahad sequence. Yes. Yes. So Castle it was interesting. It was interesting listening to your criticisms of Sword in the Stone, which, again, I don't necessarily disagree with, but I think a lot of them also apply to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Again, we have a your mileage may vary kind of situation where a lot of the stuff that I kind of had more patience for as a teenager, now I'm like, I just find this tiresome. Sure. Um, the, the Castle Anthrax sequence, I feel like, has always been one of the weak sequences in this movie. So yeah. any defense that I'm about to do is going to be half-hearted at best. I forgot that they did specifically lampshade it as like, ah, yes, this is your TNA segment. Haha, isn't this clever? Now that we're bringing it up, you know it. So that's doubly clever. We've secondly lampshaded it. Good job, the Pythons. All right, carry on with all the jokes. Um, Which is, you know, it's better than nothing, but it's also not 
great. What do you mean better than nothing? Like than than not even lampshading it and just like doing doing the humor. Like oh, I was gonna say they could have just taken the scene out. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. By better than nothing, I mean like we just do the scene, but we don't even acknowledge the fact that it's a problematic scene. I got it. I gotcha. Um, I think the best sequences in this movie are the animated ones. <laughs> uh, Terry Gilliam really uh, pulling his weight here. Um, but yeah, mostly I just a lot of the stuff that do you think appealed to me as for at fourteen does not appeal to me at thirty four. Do you think it was a first off those ages were um, troubling oh. when you said them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what you want as, to say. As you said, 14 and 32, I'm like, 20 years, huh? 20 years, huh? <laughs> um, do you Guess think how long you and I have known each other? <laughs> Good God. Um, <laughs> do you think some of it is overexposure? Like, the, like, you've seen the Dennis the Peasant scene 8 billion times, and therefore seeing it for the 8 billion and first time, you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. Carry on. Um, maybe... Or like ditto for the, you know, I she turned me into a newt, I got better. It's like Like I, I enjoy I it had been a long time since I'd seen this and I enjoyed rewatching it. I enjoyed being like, I do know a lot of this movie backwards and forwards. Um some of it flags, some of it doesn't, but because I know it's beats so well, I can sort of when it's a sequence I know I'm not a fan of, I'll go up and like go to the bathroom, get a drink, and then come back. Um so, like, on the one hand, it's like familiarity here was nice, but I could also see it being like familiarity is of just like, good, like, yeah, no, I know, I know, yeah, you built the castle three times, fell down, sank in the swamp, caught on fire, whatever, come on. I don't know, I guess I would hope that if something was actually, like, enduringly funny, that I would still, even if I knew it was coming, I would still be like, oh, haha, it's mm -hmm. this part. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a lot of this movie that did not even elicit a chuckle from me because it was just kind of like, uh, I get it. She has big tits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about have you have you seen any other Python either at all or other, recently? Yeah, that is the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention. I. There are select bits of the Python oeuvre that I enjoy. Mm hmm there are not very many of them. Sure. It's like as, as comedic stylings, they're not for you. I find the meaning of life to be horrifying. I don't know if I've actually seen that movie. One movie that I haven't seen that I truly would like to is life of Brian. I think that would appeal to me. I strongly considered assigning that for one of our new Testament uh, episodes. Yeah. Um, but in general, this kind of, tone and it also it does like this kind of tone does not work for me in other venues like there are other british sketch shows that i don't enjoy because like i think it Webb. is just yeah like it's not my kind of humor so mm. i think that that may also be part of this and well, i am trying to be cognizant of that but with with holy grail it's tricky because this was something that as you said was a cornerstone of my like high school of my teen experience yeah um, well, like, it was also a cornerstone of early internet, like, early to mid, you know, pre-internet 2.0, like, internet -ery and, like, nerdery of that time. If you yes. were not up on, on this movie, you were not a true nerd. 
uh, with all the baggage also, that contains. Which is also wild because this movie was so mainstream. Like, this movie was so mainstream they made it into a Broadway musical. Like, but, like it is was kind it of mainstream wild. or was it like just all the nerds loved it and there were enough nerds that we could make like the overlap the between uh, I don't think that nerd culture has ever been as niche as nerds have wanted it to be fair and like something like this it's like well but if it is this like niche culture thing like the the fact is still that it was a hugely popular and hugely profitable Broadway musical. Yes, yes, in the mid aughts, like yes. decades after the movie was made. Yes, uh, we went to see it on a high school sci fi yes. club trip. Yes, we did. Uh, when we were watching this movie, uh, my wife uh, Marin was like, "Did you ever like? Oh, like there's that Spamalot musical." I'm like, "Yes, I saw it on a field trip with my sci fi club." Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you martha the president that made that happen oh hey good job you yes <laughs> I, was, I was trying to remember what year that was i couldn't remember if it was your presidentiary or the previous year i'm pretty sure it was me because I... i'm pretty sure that was also our newer um faculty supervisor i don't think it was mrs price at that point sure uh you should take full credit so you know um so yeah this one was one where I was like, all right, objectively, I can see where the laugh points are, but I'm not Right, laughing. you're like, that's the joke, cool, that's the joke, cool, okay. But in, so sort of in conversation with the Sword and the Stone, a couple things I want, to, I want us to spend a little bit of time on. Um, first of all, the fact that these end up being stories that are told in very similar ways, like they are very episodic. And... More, um, more so than that, and I don't know if this was a intentional parody, but e the Sword in the Stone opens with a storybook page being turned as we are, like, told about the Sword in the Stone. And then at various sequences in Monty Python, there is a a person turning the pages of, like, a, an illustrated tome telling the story of, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um... And so it's not just the fact that it's, like, episodic, but it's that we are also literally telling it through a book. Which I think is because just Arthur in general is a very literary tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, having... And I think in a lot of ways, um, this is also a hark... In, when, bleh, in a lot of ways for... Monty Python as well, it is a way to hearken back to the fact that the Once and Future King is, in a lot of ways, our definitive, um, like, literary version of Arthur. Modern like, version, yeah. Yeah, like, there's the Lamorta to Arthur, but the one that we all tend to think of is the T.H. White story. Yeah. So I think that for, for Monty Python, it is still a reference to the fact that we were inspired by this book. So we are telling what is essentially a literary story. That That's true, but I'm actually going to say that the... First off, as I said earlier, it's been a long time since I've, I've read The Once and Future King, but I'm pretty sure Monty Python does not follow almost any of the, the points of it. Like, it is... Oh, no, not at all. But, but like, like I, I think it's it's... Like, Monty Python is the, we have collected the 
like, it is all the Arthur stuff that's just floating in the air, except, weirdly enough, Merlin makes no appearance. None. Um, At which, all. Which I thought was wild. It's like, Tim the Enchanter shows up, but Merlin is absent. Um, but, like, you know, there you got your Sir Bedivere and your Sir Galahad, you got your main knights, you got your Camelot and your round tables, uh, you got your Grail quest, which only sometimes appears in Arthur stories. You got Excalibur, and then that's kind of it like Lancelot obviously but you know there's not even a Guinevere in this um mostly because it's a boys show because it's the pythons um god I actually you talked you mentioned Guinevere and I thought about what Guinevere would have looked like in this movie and I kind of wanted to throw up it it probably would have been poorly I don't think it would have been good (laughs) yeah uh you might like Life of Brian if only because it's the only python I know of that actually has female characters with um agency and character uh granted at least two of them are played by men but uh some of them are actually played by women but yeah it's it's this is just like like hey walk up to a random person on the stream be like tell me what you know about the the king arthur story and then we'll compile that knowledge together and make it into a movie (laughs) uh the other thing i just want to bring up real quick is that I think it is really interesting looking like contrasting both of these movies how the Arthur story fits for like radically different audiences. Hmm. Like there is a way to tell this story or to tell parts of the story that are for children and like very kind of like a fable and then there are ways to tell it that it where it is still recognizably the thing that it is um but is like a wildly different tone, wildly different level of material. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and as we're going to look at next week, next week we're, we're looking at like sort of Arthur's mythos. And that's, again, it, I, I, it, certainly my homework is, I think, inspired by Once and Future King. And it is about as different from The Sword and the Stone as you could get, even though they're coming from like the exact same source material. Sorry, I hope I didn't just, like, absolutely cut you off and derail you there. No, I was just trying to think of what comes next. Do you have any other thoughts on either of these things? Oh, something else I did want to talk about really quick. Um, so we kept this these homeworks to, um, like, literal Arthur stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did kind of... I did just want to briefly mention... Um, comedy that is inspired by the Arthurian legends because I I do think that there have been several like this is not Arthur but it kind of is it's medieval Um, fantasy with magic swords and it's not D&D flavored it's Arthur flavored yeah like I, I feel like Arthur the Arthurian stuff color like arthurian fantasy is a whole thing yeah um i did not assign the short-lived and dearly beloved tv show gallivant uh which (laughs) i distressingly found out after i mentioned it that pete didn't enjoy it i am not a fan in the least uh (laughs) was furious that you did not assign it because she wanted me to have to watch it so furious Um, is a strong word she was but yeah, but that is one that is one where the story is not King Arthur. It is a fictional well, all Arthur is fictional, but um No, based like on our hero- episode last week, it was to- it's not fictional. It's all real. <laughs> but like the hero is very clearly 
Barther. And Arthur analog. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is there is something about this particular, like the, um, I guess the, the skeleton or the musculature of this story that is easy to bend comedically, mm-hmm. which I find enjoyable. Um, it tells me that there are, that the things that we find troubling, like the gender politics and um, some of the racial stuff, like is recognizably awful in a way that can be parodied to kind of like fix some of it. I don't think that's what either of the, the, um, homeworks that we talked about are doing, but there is clearly stuff that is easy to laugh at in, in a way where it's like, we all know what the joke is because it is based on a story that's incredibly ubiquitous. Yeah. Well, like it doesn't help that the most recent homework assignment we did from this is from 1975. So if we're talking about troubling like gender politics, okay, yeah, that I understand why. Like the the Arthur story inherently can't like it is so easy for the Arthur story to have troubling gender politics in like 8000 different directions because it's a story that's coming from like, you know, as far back as a thousand or even or like, you know, 800 CE. So gender politics might not have been great. Then they keep getting filtered through different lenses. You can do, as we talked about last week, um, like your your feminist revisions or whatever. And it's cool that Arthur can support that. But it's also super easy to not do that. And when you are a British sketch comedy troupe from 1975 or the Disney company in 1963, it's easy to kind of steer into the skid of the less of, of the less savory gender political elements of it. My follow-up thought is, do we think that that is maybe a contributing factor to the fact that most of the Arthurian, most if not all of the Arthurian comedy being made now or recently is parodies rather than Arthur appears in this by name your your like gallivant is what we do now versus the holy grail is what we did then right i hmm. i really looked i mean one of the reasons i picked the sword in the stone which was not really my first pick for this because i i don't know that i would really call it a comedy I, yeah um was that i just couldn't find a lot of options but we couldn't not talk about holy grail right like when we were talking about doing three different episodes of that arthur we're like cool so holy grail is a homework somewhere in there what is the episode exactly um and like hmm i hmm yeah cuz i i well part of it too might just be that um Hmm. I was going to say, like, so much of culture likes to do, like, the gritty, realistic reboot, but actually, that's only kind of sort of recently. Uh, I, I guess there's been light, like, there's been light-hearted Arthur, like, Camelot, which focuses on, like, the romance and is, like, a musical. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not a comedy, that's, like, a musical. Uh, and then... You know, Gallivant, uh, from my understanding, Gallivant is, A, it's also a musical, and B, it's Arthurian, but it is sort of, like, pulling from everything. Correct. But then most other Arthur, or even Arthurian, 
adaptations played a lot more straight. I I think that maybe as a genre, people are a little more hesitant to do it as comedy. Be, and this might be a fault of nerdery, where it's like, listen, who do we expect our audience to be? People who are also playing D&D. Uh, cool, so that means we need it to be... It can sometimes be glib, but it can't be too glib, because we also have to get serious. Yeah. Like, if if we're shelling out for our Merlin magic special effects, we can't have this be a comedy. Yeah. Unless you're the Monty Python people who are just like, F it, we're gonna <laughs> take whatever you hold sacred and... And blow it up. Poop on it. <laughs> with uh, the holy hand grenade of Antioch. I said I wasn't going to do too, too many quotes. That was the one actual, like, non-related random drop I did. You've been very restrained. I'm mm -hmm. impressed. Mm -hmm. Well, anything else we uh, want to I be think, talking about for this? I was going to say, I think that does it for me. Cool. We solved it. We I did. don't know what we were solving, but we did it. <laughs> All right. Well, next episode, we are sort of... We're, we're, we're diving into the cool stuff. We're going into the mists, past history, past comedy, into myth. Uh, we're talking about Arthur as myth. Um, this, this is like the Arthur stuff that you think of when you think of Arthur. Exactly. Yeah, we've, we've teased you with two episodes of not proper Arthur or like serious Arthur. But now we're doing like, we're going to have Lancelot. We're going to have Merlin. We're going to have, you know, probably uh, Guinevere is going to show up in... in various ways um and listen, if we had been arranging these episodes in a sensible way this episode should have been first however, however well however we kind of wanted a bonus homework for this episode to, for this upcoming episode to be a 24's movie coming right. out this friday of david lowry's the great knight um, Which is what I was about to say. Oh well, great. We're on the exact same. Is that we life. wanted to? Is that we wanted to time this particular aspect of the uh, topic to the release of the Green Knight? Because I'm hoping to be able to see it before we next record. We are planning on seeing it on Saturday, and I know you you sent me the Polygon review. I saw AV Club's review. They're both very positive. So I am. I'm I'm getting I'm getting pretty stoked. Oh yeah. <laughs> um so that's your bonus homework assignment. If you're not able to see it because it's only being released from movie theaters, you don't feel comfortable going to movie theaters, that's totally okay. We're probably going to talk about it, so just be aware of that and like we'll flag it where we can fast yep. forward all the Spoiler rest of it. Spoiler warning at the top. Yeah, but um that's your bonus homework. Your normal proper homework for that episode. I'm assigning the nineteen eighty one uh John Borman movie Excalibur. Uh, my caveat here is that I have not actually seen this movie, but it is based on uh, the Morta Arthur, and it stars literally every famous English and Scottish actor uh, who's around today before they were famous, such as Liam Neeson, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, etc., uh, etc. Et <laughs> um, uh, this is uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Um, this is a very sort of straightforward Arthur adaptation, but also over-the-top and insane because John Borman. Um, it also might be the closest to, like, your traditional, like, you've got your Arthur versus Mordred, you've got Lancelot showing up kind of movie, uh, in the, in the group. Um, like, of, of all our homeworks. Martha, what are you assigning? 
Uh, I have selected the 1998 miniseries that initially aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, uh, Merlin, starring Sam Neill as Merlin, Helena Bonham Carter as Morgan Le Fay, Rutger Hauer as King Vortigern. Oh, Rutger Hauer's in it? Miranda Richardson as the Lady of the Lake, Isabella Rossellini as Nimue, Martin Short is there too, <laughs> uh, Lena Headey plays Guinevere, um... Who plays Arthur? Uh, a man named Paul Curran. Okay, so that's wild. The guy, the guy who plays Arthur in um, in Excalibur is also kind of a nobody actor. So it's, it's very interesting that in all of our our assignments, I feel like in a lot of our assignments, other than um, obviously Monty Python doesn't count, but like other than um, uh the King Arthur movie with uh, Clive Owen as Arthur. Like the Arthur is always kind of like a, a, a rando. And then you surround him with like a cast of, of actors. Well, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about the winter King, about how a lot of Arthur stories end up being less about Arthur himself and more about how Arthur affects like the Everyone world around, around him. him. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm assigning. It is, an Arthurian story that is mostly about what happens before Arthur shows up. <laughs> uh, I did not realize that came out in 1998. I would have said that was 2003. So great. Good. The passage of time. Uh, so that's going to do it for us this week. Um, go and do your homeworks until the next episode. You can find us on any of your various podcatchers. Uh, please rate and review us and subscribe. That's how we, you know, the algorithms uh, bump us up a little bit higher. You can find us on social media. That's Twitter and Instagram at DYDYH Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Did You Do Your Homework? You can also email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, Martha, where can people find you and what are you plugging? Uh, you can find me on all the places at, ma at Magical Martha. Um, I'm way too online, so you know I'm at all of your uh, all the usual suspects. Um, I also do a second podcast that releases on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays with Pete's wife Marin called Love Ya, where we watch a, a teen movie or rom com and talk about it in detail. Our last episode was on the Amazon Prime original Chemical Hearts, and our next episode is on a movie whose title I could not remember if you paid me. Um, so I will have to check in with Marin about that. Um, also, sometimes I write a newsletter, but I haven't written an I haven't written an issue since uh, January, so <laughs> don't hold your breath on that one. The last Love You episode was called Chemical Hearts. Yes, I could not have told you that for the life of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's based off of a YA book called Our Chemical Hearts. Oh. Yeah, okay. So the, ma the main character thinks he's being very intellectual when he talks about how love is just a chemical reaction in your brain. Oh, cool. Seems like a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can find me and my similar thoughts like that at on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O-3000. We should have you guest star on one of these episodes. Uh, maybe I should. I, I could uh, pop in as like, you know, producer, you know, <laughs> being the producer, popping in and sounding off. Oh, the problem is oh, that means I'd have to watch one of them. Yes. 
correct? I, I, I much prefer not watching them and then listening to you talk about them and thinking to myself, yeah, that sounds bad. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not that you're doing bad movies, just movies that are not my speed. Many of them are not what I would call good. Yeah, I know that the, the Chemical Hearts movie was literally about halfway through your uh, Love Ya movies that yes, you've watched so far. I do maintain a Letterboxd account, username Magical Martha. Like I said, it's everywhere. That's where that's where you can find me everywhere, uh, where I am keeping a ranked list of all of the movies that we watch for that podcast. I guess so. my, my letterbox is P. Romberg, R-H-O-M-B-E-R-G. Uh... I thought about trying to do a list, a ranked list of all the movies we've watched for this podcast, and then I almost threw up about how many titles that would be on it and decided that that was not actually a useful I, I tag for anything. I tag movies that we watch for this with the tag DYDYH. Um, oh, cool. But I don't do lists, and also I only got on Letterboxd in like 2019, 2018, and I was not about to go back and try to list all the movies we'd seen in the previous years not a chance yeah all right well i think that's going to do it for us for this week uh thank you so much for listening we will be back in two weeks talking about arthur as myth uh with our special green knight episode if you can see it cool if not we understand pandemics and stuff still happening also if you live in britain apparently got pulled for some reason i don't know um so uh until then class dismissed